Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio. We are also on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Thanks for joining Kim and I today. How are you, Kim? I'm doing fine. Nice the to summer. talk to you, as always, about yeah, wine. This summer's going so fast, Kim. I know. Oh, Goodbye, gonna, summer. We get, it's good to get the winter topics ready, though, right? I <laughs> That's mean, right. We're we're prepping for uh, for fall weather and fall wine. Holiday shows and everything mm, already, right. right? So uh, we had a few uh, interviews the last few weeks, and today we're going to get back into discussing a topic that we saw based on articles. And today we want to talk to the listeners, Kim, all about wine scores. You you know, everybody's seen these things in some sort of wine publication or a wine article, or you see them on the store shelves when you're shopping for wine. So we thought we'd talk to the listeners, what's this all about? And then we had a few articles. We also saw about some views on them. Kim, I thought maybe we'd start with what are the different types of of point systems out there and what do they mean? Right. So I, I feel like obviously you and I have been in the business for for a while and there used to be a time, I would say a few years ago, where I kind of feel like wine scores were a little bit more talked about. I feel like they're, I hesitate to say less important, but maybe a little bit less important these days as far as like the number one thing that people talk about when it comes to a wine. But I think that there is still enough of a wine score presence out there to help the consumer that it does have value for us to talk about. And it also has, I think, value in its existence. So there are a number of different ways that wine writers or wine critics will score their wines. But in general, they're kind of based on the way that we would get grades at school, <laughs> you know, where 100 is as good as you can get. And if you're somewhere in the 70s, you know, maybe you're not doing so great. Yeah. And we'll, let's talk about the 100 points scale first. And I want to get back at some point in the show about your comments you made, you started out with because talking about are they still used or, or is it a good guidance? How did we first, I, you know, I mm -hmm. want to talk about our first experiences kind of with points. Sure. Yeah. But let's start with the 100 point scale. As you said, based like, just like you graded on a test, this was something they credit to Robert Parker for coming up with, and you'll see it in Wine Enthusiast, Wine Spectator, James Suckling. They they all use this rating system. So why don't we give a little detail? What would it mean if you saw these numbers? So I think that this is this is a um, an article from Wine Searcher, and I think that this is maybe the most valuable part of this article in that it spells out kind of when a critic gives such and such of a score, what do they really mean by that? Like what category would they put that in? And I think that often we're kind of bombarded with all of these exclamation points when it's something that's like over 90 points. And that is the goal for a winemakers is to get that 90 or above point wine. But the truth of the matter is, is that wine's in lower point, you know, categories aren't necessarily bad wines or not worth drinking. So I thought that this broke this down really well. So what they are saying is that the explanation for each of the scores is as follows, that if it's 95 or higher, 
it's a, a classic. It's a great wine. It's like the best that you could possibly get. But a 90 to 94 is like a superior wine. It's outstanding. It's still a really excellent wine. And anything in the high 80s is still a really very good wine with individual characteristics and personality and very good quality. And even those wines in the low 80s are still solid, well-made, worth drinking, good wines. Things in the 70s, say 75 to 79, meh, probably not the best thing that you can be drinking, but still drinkable and probably in many cases pretty yummy. So it's really things that are under 74 points that are kind of the things that you want to stay away from. But frankly, we don't see a whole lot of those wines because if a critic gives a score to a wine that is really low, sometimes they will get backlash and they don't want that either. So that's why we see that this 100 point system isn't really 100 point system. It's not even like a 50 up system. It's really more like 70 and up. So think of it as like a passing grade on a history test in high school. Right. And the lowest it goes is 50. And you you had a good point there starting saying that it doesn't mean it's a bad wine or a faulty wine because they will not review a faulty wine. So if they're, the reviewer is, has something sent to them and there's a wine fault, the reviewer is not going to even give a grade to a faulty wine. They would just put it aside and it, tell the whoever sent me another a sample. So if you get a 50, it doesn't mean because it's faulty. It's That's what they say it's getting. And like you said, it's very rare. And I think as the years go on, you're seeing less and less in publications under 80. You're seeing mid 80s, mm-hmm. a lot of 90s, very rare for hundreds. And that was kind of one of the questions I want to ask you, Kim. If, have you ever sampled a hundred point rated wine? It's a good question. I know, I know my I first have. experience with it. If I, if I have, I don't remember, which makes me think that I probably haven't. But I don't know. I, I honestly don't remember if I have. Because usually someone would say, hey, Kim, yeah, here's 100 point wine, right? 100 <laughs> points, right? And, and I did years ago at a, you know, like a corporate event where yeah. it was a, a Tokai from Hungary and we got a sample on a spoon. That's how. A spoon? Yeah. It was, was, it, a spoon. was it sweet Tokai? Yeah, it was like a five, you know, it was like really high end, but we could only get like a drop on a spoon. So my whole experience about 100 point was kind of different because of that, you know, but so 100 points. Did you feel that it was worth the 100 points? I think that's one thing we have to mention in the show here is that even though these reviewers say it's 100 points, if it's not your something you like as a style or a profile, it's never going to. But I think you get it in your head that, wow, this is a perfect wine, right? A hundred points in, in the wine score is perfect, right? As you said, it's they say classic. It's a classic wine. You don't see many of those. So mm-hmm. I guess it helps you learn what should be correct for the varietal or the type of wine. But I think um, classic is misleading because yeah. there are a lot of like classic styles out there. Like this is a classic Bordeaux or this is a, you know, classic example of, I don't know, Dolcetto or something, but it doesn't necessarily get a super duper high point. I, I right, think of classic right. as like um, kind of correct in the style that historically has been associated with that wine. So I don't know. I guess I just think that the word classic is a little misleading in this case. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has their own interpretation of mm. the level and what they feel is a good wine and not a good wine. Putting points to it is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a hard thing to do and it's their profession and, and 
we'll talk a little further on here about why people have an issue with this. <laughs> but let's move on to the 20-point scale, Kim. We talked about the 100-point. Now, there's also this 20-point scale, which in 1959, they say UC Davis supposedly came up with this. And I know Decanter used it years ago. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they do any longer. Jancis Robinson, I think, still does in her newsletters. You want to explain the 20-point explanation there, sure. Kim? Yes, the 20 point system, I feel, is usually more associated with um, British wine writers because this 100 point system, as far as like school grading goes, is more of an American thing. So we do tend to see this 20 point system more associated with either English publications or with those English writers like Jancis Robinson. So um, (laughs) I really I like their descriptions here because they're they're a little quirky and kind of funny. Um, But you're really looking for anything over 15 points. So between 15 and 20. So, you know, we're kind of working on the same scale here. So it's that top 25% of whatever number scale you're working with. So 20 would be a truly exceptional wine. Uh, They say a 19 is a a humdinger. Humdinger, yeah. (laughs) Humdinger. 18, a cut above superior, which with 17 being a superior wine, 16 being distinguished, 15 being average, and 14 being the very British deadly dull. (laughs) And then really anything lower than that you don't want. So there could be a faulty wine, an unbalanced wine, or something that you really just don't want to drink. So again, we're only working with, what, five, six yeah, different numbers five. here. Yeah. But it's interesting. They do give 12s for faulty wine. So they must, unlike the 100-point scale, they must say it was yeah. a fault. So I gave it a 12, which is, I've never seen it, but yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I think faulty, actually rating a faulty wine is tricky because, yeah. I mean, they would have to do it so that they know that like the entire vintage is faulty. You know, right. it's not just a bottle fault. But that the whole production all tastes this way and it's all like not good. And I mean, how often do you see those wines in the market? I just, I don't feel like it's, yeah, I don't know. Right, it's interesting. Freya. It's an interesting way of talking about them and, and grading them. Yeah. It's interesting to, to say it anyway. And the last rating Deadly system is, is a five <laughs> point or a five star system, which was also used by decanter and in the past but i don't think anyone currently uses it unless i i know maybe like tasting panel magazine or psalm journal one of them still has reviews that rate with with stars stars Um, that's how i rate personally yeah 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 (laughs) in my own little my own little rating system when i when i go to tastings and i have to put something to quickly remind myself what i felt about a wine so yeah i use stars and check marks yeah I do too, but I I don't have the time to even put five. I even like a one to three, you know. It's like yeah, I, two stars is my is <laughs> yeah, my yeah. most. Yeah, I'll do two stars. I'll do checks, and then I'll do a negative sign if I think it's terrible. So the, in that five star system, it's five stars is classic, four stars is excellent, three stars is good every day, two is casual drinking, and one is ordinary. Mm-hmm. So nothing really, you know, they're all drinkable wines. Drinkable. Yeah. I think that that's a a, a very, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Generous. A very generous system. Yeah. 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 It's it because when you look at that 100 point scale, I mean, what's really the difference between an 89 and a 90? Or a, It's so difficult to pick things based on that. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the things I want to follow up 
on with these points is that we had both experienced at one time a, a, a company, Quinny, who was had an idea about using points, but wanted to focus more on profile. So they actually started at zero and went to 100. But each step, you had to give so many points in the in the tasting process. So I kind of wanted to get your feedback, what you think of someone's ratings like that, where they say, yeah. hey, just tell us, the number doesn't matter, but rate site zero to 10 and aroma zero to 15. And then we add it all up and that's mm-hmm. the points. Yeah. You, I think that that system was a little bit confusing because it didn't work with the already established system and information that we all were kind of working with. So meaning people are familiar more with the hundred points. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I think the reason that it was confusing is because I don't think that when going into doing that rating system, you realize that if you give anything lower than say, you know, a seven out of 10, then you're in that category of you have just failed your final exam, you know? Right, right. And right. and it was, you know, it was also different because it dealt with looking at, you know, the color of the wine. And it was more of, I think, less about the score and more about the sensory aspect of it. But because there was that score number associated with it, once you finished assessing your wine and you got this number, it was I, I felt when I did it with people that people had sort of like this visceral reaction, like, wait a minute. I liked this wine. Why did it only get a 72? You know, right, right. Because you never would see that on a shelf. So I felt like if it had been, I don't know, just explained in a way of saying, hey, this is different than how the scores that you might see on a shelf talker come up with their final grade, then it would maybe have made a little bit more sense. Right. And it was tough to explain to people and and the problem I have with a system like that is on an aged wine where you had to really go by the color was not bright. Of course, it's not bright. it's not so, supposed to be. Yeah. Right. So there was no give kind of for that. Yeah. But so, yeah, we, we agree on that. But so, because color is not a, a value, you know, like a quality value. You can have yeah, you just need a, a-, a light colored wine. And I don't understand why you would be asked to give points that add up to a total on something that has no bearing on the quality of the wine. Right. Yeah. So we're, that was we're, sort of difficult. We're in agreement on that. So what about we, we started out, you were saying, you know, what was your first experience? When did you first like recognize a score and kind of understand what it meant and how you interpret it first for yourself? Yeah. I don't think it was until I really started working in the industry and working in retail before I started to really pay attention to scores. Not that I like didn't buy wine, but I don't really think I paid that much attention to what a score was was telling right. me. I just don't remember having much of a memory of like going shopping and looking at whatever the scores were on the shelf. But it's I just interesting, though, maybe you... I'm just not remembering that I did that because it's do very you... possible that I did. Do you think it's been then? Generally, people need some sort of wine education or stronger background to really want to see, you know, those to bring attention to the wine. No, I think it's actually the opposite. I think that the value that a score has generally can be for people who maybe don't know so much about wine and that it's a good, I think it's a good starting point. They're relying on that. hmm? They're relying on that. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Because if you don't necessarily have the base knowledge, you got to start somewhere. And right. you maybe are not shopping at a place that has 
knowledgeable people. So it is an easy way to, especially for Americans, to look at a number and automatically understand what that is telling you as far as value and quality. Right. So I think for the beginning, my, I mean, my own personal experience, it, honestly, at this point is probably just that I don't remember. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was so long ago now. I just recall being excited that I saw a review in a magazine of of a wine I had first time drawing attention to it. And I believe at the time I, I was seeing a lot of really low numbers. So I wasn't huh. really keen on seeing you know, these high rate or people weren't really pushing, hey, it's 90 points or whatever. Just seeing reviews. You were seeing mm -hmm. reviews of a lot of wines that you were able to get and it drew attention. And then I think as time went on, the, the mentality was, hey, you have to get rated wines on your shelves. You, yeah. That's the thing. Everybody's looking for 90 points. Everybody's looking for uh, Robert Parker rated wines, that type of thing. And then so it kinda, are you speaking of this at, from the perspective of somebody who owns a wine store then? As far as retail, yeah. Because yeah, as far you, as retail goes. Okay. And I remember years ago, we didn't have any points on the shelf or anything mm -hmm. like that. And it was all personal looking at reviews. We weren't promoting those. We were yeah. just using them to buy and to review. Okay. So um, you were using it as like your internal system, right, and not like necessarily a, giving yeah. it to the to the customers. Right. Like a oh, buying it's a, That's very guide. interesting. And, but it changed. And then it went yeah. to, hey, you have to tell the consumer. People want to know how many 90 point wines. And then you had mm -hmm. a whole company, the 90 plus wine company who yeah. was, was running on that. Yeah. Right. So- and now it's like very rarely is a is a company saying, "Hey, you have to get this because we just got a ninety you know yeah. point or ninety five. So yeah, I, I don't think feel that's like gone it's down. pushed as much anymore. I think that the people who are the ones who focus on it the most are sort of those cherry pickers, you know, looking for the the ones that have the most buzz and the most cachet yeah. and are kind of using using wine as more of like a status symbol kind of thing. Investors or people who are just building yeah. wine cellars, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We're talking today about wine scoring systems and points, and does it matter? Does it have value? Uh, and we have a number of articles that we've been referencing, uh, one of them from Wine Searcher, which gave us a great breakdown about what do those numbers actually mean. And then we have some other things to talk about, wine ratings and how those get across to the consumer in a way that is fair, I think is probably the best yeah. way to put that. The first one I'd like to start with, Kim, is we had a guest, Tom Walker, on the show, and he wrote an article about how the, the ratings publications, you know, the scores are not fair because they're not covering all of the United States. They focus mm. on California, Oregon, Washington, New York, but very rarely are they focusing on other states. So he thought they were not fair in what they were reviewing. And um, what did you think of that? Do you think these publications are not covering what they should be covering when they're rating wines? 
as a wine nerd who likes to see things from all over the place and interesting new things, I wish that there was more information out there about some areas that maybe don't get a lot of press. But I mean, also at the end of the day, these publications are in the process, are in the business of making money. Right. And if there are wines that are only available, say, in just a small part of the country or, you know, just in a local market, it really doesn't make any business sense, I feel like, for them to cover them. But my personal feelings are that I, I wish that there was more, not value, but more emphasis placed on the fact that there are really excellent wines from all over the place and not just five or six states. Right. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, that was his thing, just talking about them. But you mentioned the, the, the magazines all have, obviously have to make money. And I don't know if our listeners know, but a lot of the winemakers I talk to, when they want their wines reviewed and to get scores, they do have to give them, obviously, the wine for free. And sometimes they have to pay a fee mm -hmm. for those wines to get reviewed. So there's a lot of winemakers who say, I'm not paying you to tell me what you think of my wine. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of what was it winegourd.com blog was talking about, yeah. about are they really unbiased ratings when the companies are taking monies or you'll see a review for a wine and then the next page there's an ad for the wine. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot. I mean, they have to make money somehow. So are they really not fair in how they're reviewing? Are they focusing on people giving them who's giving them ad money? I know Spectator at one time, there was a lot of talk about, you know, they had Rolex in there and the companies might have owned a wine company. So what did you think about that wine gourd blog? Can I go back to and say one more comment about the only course, focusing yeah. on like the top five? Yeah places in the country yeah. is that I think it's also sort of short-sighted though, because mm. things will change. And if you said 30 years ago, if you were to give, you know, a bottle of Willamette Pinot Noir to someone to review and they looked at you and they gave you like a crazy look and said, I'm not going to drink Pinot Noir from Oregon. Like right. that's in the sticks. Right. And now look at it. They have to you know? adapt so to the change. Yep. Their things will change. It isn't only going to be forever, California, Oregon, Washington, maybe New York, Virginia. Right, so right. I think it is short-sighted to only review the things that have that are popular right now. Eventually, <laughs> you right. do need to pay attention to new things. Yeah, absolutely. And you see more of that even when they review spirits in the magazines, they're covering other areas. They're not just covering the big corporations making spirits, they're covering the small distilleries mm -hmm. all over the country. So mm -hmm. I think that's so, like, where it's I get the, the market share part of it, but also I feel like there is a bit of a duty to cover new developments in the industry. Right. right. Okay. Now back to whatever the question was that you had asked me that I... <laughs> No, I, I mentioned the Wine Gourd blog about oh, yeah. buy unbiased reviews because they're taking money for ads. Yeah. It's kind of a pay to play type of situation. So they're just bringing it, the awareness to people. And I think in the industry, we all knew that. And you, you had to understand, well, maybe they're reviewing this whole line in this publication this month because everything is sponsored by that company mm -hmm. this month. So Yeah, it's always sort of been an open secret in the industry. Like everybody knows how the game is played, but we don't really want to talk about it. And we want to continue to tell consumers that it's 
fair and unbiased, but really a lot of it is advertising. Right. And then we had an article about actually Northwest Wine Report, I believe, dot com. Who cares about wine ratings? We saw a few of these type of articles saying that, and we talked briefly about it, is that what does it matter, the score? It's all about the profile. And when you see a review in, in there saying, oh, it smells like this, it tastes like that, and it matches what you smell and taste, then you would agree that with that reviewer. And it might be a good guidance that you want to follow that person because their palate might be close to yours instead of the numbers. Who cares about the numbers? This person reviewing is tasting what you're tasting, is smelling what you're smelling. So that's kind of a good guide to follow someone like that. Do you, do you agree with that type of thinking of profile versus score? Yes, I agree with that. But you have to, you the consumer, have to be at a certain point where you understand what you like and what you don't like to even be able to make a connection between, oh, this reviewer is saying things that he's he or she is describing something in a wine that, oh, I find that appealing because I know that I like wines like that. I think the problem with that is that you are assuming that your wine buying audience knows a whole lot more than maybe they do. So I think that the genius of the point system is that you're giving novice wine drinkers a place to start. And it's a good introduction to, hey, if you know you buy a 92 point wine and you take it home and you're like, oh, okay, so this is what a good quality wine is supposed to taste like. But again, you know, that's just that's sort of discounting style, you know, like you just mentioned that it's all about the style and not necessarily about the number. So I, th right. I think that people have to understand that it's kind of two pronged, right? So that the number is f about the quality of the wine, but not about the flavor of the wine. So the description is about the taste, the texture, the sensation, and the point is about the quality. I guess and you might not like that style. So it doesn't matter that it's a 90 point wine. If you don't like that style, I mean, I could give my mother-in-law, a 95-point bottle of champagne, but she doesn't like bubbles. So right, it's right. not going to be right, something exactly. that she's going to like. So it's it's both of those, but I, I do feel like asking someone to understand enough about their own palate to pick a critic to follow is asking a lot from someone who is very new to wine. And I think a, a summary of that would be like the points, like the cliff notes and the profile and description is like a technical note, right? I mean, no, can, I don't think so. No, because the cliff it's note, like a no, brief, the cliff note, cliff note still, is a brief, this is the number. But it's not telling you anything about what the wine tastes like. Well, well we had descriptions, 90 is whatever, outstanding. I, I think that's the short version versus outstanding like, quality. Yeah. But if you say yeah. you just give somebody a point and they don't know how to read a wine label, they're not going to know anything about the style of that wine. So how about this? Would you say that the points are more novice everyday wine drinkers and the profile and description is more the geeky? No, I think Still, the description wow. is about the flavor and the point is about the And it quality. doesn't matter level of wine experience. If you put those two things together and you can read, it's still, you're not listening to me. No, I hear, I hear you. I'm just trying to get a, like a summary of the points versus profile. But the point doesn't tell you what the wine tastes like. It well, tells I'm, you that it's as, good. As far as buying, you, you were saying more people are referencing the points and not really paying attention to the profile, no? Yes. Yeah. If they're, so if, if they don't if have anything else to go on. It, 
if you're a novice drinker, you're probably not looking at the profile because you might not understand what Bramble or what right. they're talking about. Right. Yeah. But you also might not know that you like Bramble or don't like Bramble. Yeah. Or like acidity true. or don't like acidity. That's true. I like that we always come up with different <laughs> angles on things. <laughs> I was just trying to make it a simple, like, you know. But it's not simple. Sure. See, that's the problem yeah. is Wine that people, is not simple. people for, sure. for decades have been trying to use this system as a way to simplify selling wine to people. And I think that the problem with it is that it's not simple. Right. Well, you can't just yeah. say it's a number, it's a number because right. it is way more complicated than that. Right. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't. It, and it kind of puts people off in a way, too, because. We're making it more difficult trying to force these things on you when you might want to just know, give me a good wine, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's always confusing. Like everything else in the wine world, we, yeah, we always confuse the listeners. But uh, so in this article, Kim, they mentioned something that should a wine reviewer stick with one region or one grape? And I think that really happens. No, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that specialize in Italy, a lot of people that publications yeah. they can't give one person you cover the world and rate all the wines coming to that door right they usually break them down so i think that is really happening i don't think they're focusing on one grape as much as one region one region yeah I, you know yeah. what that part stuck out to me too because then i thought about the sort of the downside of that too because if you just focus on one region there might be other wines out there from other parts of the world that have a lot of the same characteristics as those wines that you review from, you know, some classic region you're missing out or that are missing out on getting reviewed, even though maybe in a blind tasting, you might think that those new wines are from your old world region and that there are places that are producing some some really great things that don't get the press, even though they're just as good as those classic wines. I guess that's kind of back to that other article, right? <laughs> like, right exactly. There are other places in the world that produce really good wine, but maybe they're just not getting the press. Right. And I wanted to ask you a few things. First, I had a follow up on, we were talking wine scores and generally everyone's seeing them on your store shelves. When you were in the restaurant industry, did you ever base a, a wine list or on someone's ratings of points or did you put points on a menu because i've never seen a wine no. list at a restaurant showing points i have not at my restaurant but i have seen it done we it, that's not how we put together our wine list we tasted everything blind and then you know worked from what we felt would taste the best and go best on the menu but that being said we would always get questions from diners about points. What is the highest point wine you have on your wine list? Or wow. give me a wine that's over a certain number of points. Oh yeah, my psalms would tell me that all the time. Wow. So how did you see it in a on a wine list? It just gave the description and they put 90, 90 yeah, points yeah, next to I it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what not, I remember Not seeing. on like a talker on the table. It was actually in the wine list, on the wine um, list. I've seen them on the talkers on the tables, but that kind of strikes me as a little cheesy. Yeah. But I've, I've seen it on like wine lists before where that when they do the description of the wine or like right at the beginning of the description, it would be like 92 points from whoever. So what about at the wine school is it is there ever been a class focusing on points or no do you get questions about points i don't or... i don't remember the last time i got a question about points which is 
yeah. part of my opening remark that I, I don't feel like it's as a part of sort of the national wine psyche anymore, the whole point right. thing, because I don't remember the last time I had a conversation with somebody about points. Right. That's kind of where I wanted to bring it back. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad you went there because you would you, like you said, you would have people that probably wanted to years ago, they would pick out only those wines and yeah. put them away. And they wouldn't buy anything else if it was if it was under like a certain point, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even consider it. Even if we would be like, no, this is great up and coming region, yada, yada, yada. Nope, they wouldn't and even think, go near it. I think you mentioned this in another show about when we were talking about using the old books that used to come out once a year, mm. right? The ratings mm -hmm. book. And by the time you got the book. The vintage was gone and that wine that yeah. got that rating was gone. So yeah. I think that's another thing that happens is, is most of the time when the publications came out, the wines were already gone or they're not even released yet. And you go to ask the distributor for that wine and they, they send you a vintage that's not been reviewed. So you can't put the descriptor on there to say it. And where I'm leading with this, Kim, is I want to tell the listeners that be careful when you see those shelf talkers, or if you see it in a wine list, that it is actually the same vintage that got reviewed. Because mm -hmm. a lot of companies that are very popular now, and you see them on a lot of the big brands, they'll say, oh, this is you know 90 points, but 90 points consecutive years. It doesn't mean the one you're in that bottle that you're buying is the one that got that review. They just keep saying that that was the whole base of 90 plus line that said, hey, at one time, the wine in this bottle we sourced this from, they got 90 points. It doesn't mean the juice has anything to do with that 90 point yeah. vintage or that it was even rated. So it can be used to trick you as well. Yeah. On the one on the one hand, I felt like that business model was aggressively misleading. But on the other hand, it was pretty brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what to to say you to got call reviews? the brand ninety plus? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and it played on at the time. Ratings were on fire, so yeah. they were like, "Wow, you can get me that wine for half the price." But you know, the, and their thing was, "We're not going to tell you the winery. We're just going right. to tell you they got the point." It's kind like of said, a tricky it a, system. It was a good idea. I mean, it is a good idea. And I, I really see, I mean, just recently I had a salesperson send me a thing and it said, hey, this is coming out in October that it's going to get 90 points and, and you better get it now type of thing. So they already knew the score? Right. They must have submitted, the winery submitted, and I'm sure they're not supposed to say before the publication's out. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not technically showing you the review. They just kind of say, you know, it's almost like insider trading for wine, right? <laughs> and that's rare, though. Years yeah. ago, you didn't know. They didn't know until that magazine. Then they got a copy maybe the day before. Yeah. But it seems like now that information is coming out a little earlier. Huh. What I'm thinking is they have some sort of marketing thing that you want to know early you can maybe pay this or something maybe. like that, right? <laughs> Exclusive it's, access. Yeah, for... <laughs> because they need time to promote and get the product distributed. You know, yeah. to go to the, like in our state, they have to go to the distributor and say, hey, you might want to order another pallet of this wine because it's going to come out. They don't want them to be short of product if it's in demand for a good review. Mm -hmm. so, and that's another hard thing about national publications too, is that, you know, you might have these 100 point wines, but they might not even be available in your state. Right. Do you even buy any of the publications anymore with the reviews? 
No. I honestly, I get all the free ones being in the industry that have reviews, but mm-hmm. you can get them all online now. And that's yeah. that's kind of one of the tips I always talk about in classes is, you know, how to search for the tech notes, how to search, you know, the location, and then how to search reviews. If you put in Google, the wine you drink and tell me a review of this wine, this grape on this vintage, you'll find something. Yeah. Be it a hundred points or stars or whatever, you'll find somebody, a store or an online, you know, Vivino, you'll find something. And I yeah. think Vivino uses stars, don't they? Or five points? Um, yes. They I think they right. use I'm pretty sure they use five stars, like a like a yeah. like a Yelp review almost. Right. Yeah. At one time my whole thinking on that was based on things like that. It was for me, I thought it was better to get a lot of independent people rating the wine. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I used to believe in the wine competitions because like you submit your wine for competition and yeah, like the San yeah. Francisco wine competition, they they would have categories and independent judges in a room full of people judging a wine. And I thought that was a better perspective overview than one person telling me mm-hmm. about the wine. So similar to Vivino, where you'll see a rating, I'll say like 300 people gave this four stars or five stars. I'm like, wow, that's to me, that's pretty good. No, I mean, you you use it that way too, don't you? But is it professionals or just anybody? Wine drinkers. Wine, just the yeah. average wine drinker. Just, okay. Because I Which think is... that that also needs to be put into perspective is that, right. you know, somebody who maybe doesn't know what a good quality wine is supposed to taste like right might give you know some big honking red thing from south america a terrible score because they're used to drinking something lighter and fruitier who knows just a different style yeah and i think a lot of the bigger production wines get reviewed that way too versus the ones in the magazines are usually higher end most of the time, hard mm-hmm. to find. You probably won't even find them in the state, but general general wine drinkers are getting more access to the bigger brands, so they're reviewing them, Yeah, right? So that could be a bad thing. It's a bad thing, I feel, if you want to be a fine wine retailer, because like you kind of, I think that's what you're kind of hinting on. It's using those reviews for the big brands on a mass market review might mm-hmm. not be as good as a professional review, but and you never all... know what people's motives are. So yeah, like I generally like to see what retailers are saying about wines. Like I don't and I don't necessarily use them for people's quality ratings. I use them more for people's descriptions. Like if I'm not sure that let's see, if I'm not sure that a Riesling is sweet or not, or I'm not sure that I don't know, a particular Chardonnay is really oaky or, you know, yeah. not quite so oaky, then I'll use those for that so that I can kind of get an, an idea about what it's all about. But as far as for the value of the wine or the quality of the wine, they might just be saying good things about it because they have a whole lot of it on their shelf and they need to move it. So, you know, right. there's always that concern too. Yeah. Just tell me honestly, I think that oaky is a big thing, which, you know, with Chardonnays especially, I don't mm-hmm. care about 90 points. Is it oaked or unoaked? It's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> right. And somebody might like the oaked ones better versus not. And so would give a better score to the oaky ones. So yeah, it can be, it can yeah. be a little 
difficult and confusing sometimes. Well, that was the whole thing with wineries changing their whole, how they made their wines because the Parker liked, what they say? He liked fruity, big, bold big, wines. Big, high alcohol, fruity. He would, he would give them yeah. huge points. So you had these people actually changing how they made their wines because they wanted to submit to him to get high scores. It was mm -hmm. all about that, getting the score. Right. And they actually changed how they made their wine. And a lot of companies developed wines based on his palate to get that score. Parkerization. So, yep. It brings it all back to why these scores were important in the wine mm -hmm. world. And as a wine drinker, the listeners have to really decide what they think about it. We know what Kim thinks about it. <laughs> Kim is not shy with her opinion. <laughs> no, I, I, there's many ways to look at scores. Absolutely. And every once in a while, I hear someone shopping and they'll say, oh, hey, this this got 90 points and it's $15. And this one has no rating and it's $15. I'm going to go with the one that has mm -hmm. a rating, which mm -hmm. I can understand, right? Yep. But it is sort of interesting that it's not as ubiquitous as it used to be. I mean, they really did used to be absolutely everywhere and necessary yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That yeah. your your wine was not getting noticed if it didn't have some sort of point buzz about it. Yeah. And, and maybe a lot of that has to do with the big brands. They're, they're just so big, they don't need to spend that money for that. They spend it in other ways in marketing other marketing, maybe mm -hmm. it's social media marketing versus wine rating marketing. Yeah. You know? And I think that that, that has been a big part of the change too, is like now with regular people on the internet doing their own reviews of things, it's not as, I don't know, it's like the professionals have kind of moved into maybe a different area of, like you said, marketing. Right. And a lot of people who were doing the publications, like you said, branched off into their own blogs and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, Natalie McLean, who we talked to on the show, she does her own reviews for the Canadian wine stores. She's very popular with reviewing wine like that. So so that's it for our listeners. I mean, we mentioned wine scores, a lot to talk about. We hope you got something out of it. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, please go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you want to follow us online, we're at Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We're on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. We're on Twitter at Wine Education. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye.